no, no, no. It was um, it's it's actually a Rogue Trader book. I want to say, was it Evil Death Murder Planet? Because that's what we rolled. <laughs> well, that's the natural outcome. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Crystal Observation Tower in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 261 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about... Uh, it's random tables. All right, random tables. That's very meta. All right, but first the party goes for a dip in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the lotto ticket takes a flyer in the Character Creation Forge. Hey, my name is James Intricasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. So Shane, happy birthday to us, I guess. Five years old, the big five. I think that's a uh, drinking age for podcasts, I believe. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> finally. <laughs> we, can, we can finally find Scotch almost as old as we are. <laughs> How did we make it this far without drink? Oh, that's right. We didn't. <laughs> so uh, yeah, next week actually is our fifth anniversary. Episode one came out on August 6th, 2015. A very, very very different world than the one we're currently in that, that was before your first gen con yeah it was uh it was before this current administration <laughs> that's true it was an entire president <laughs> different president yeah we made it five years no pandemic you know who i didn't think five years later that one we would still be doing this show i certainly didn't think that uh and two that we would basically only have the show and our audience to keep us company a good excuse to talk to a human being once a week <laughs> hey hi <laughs> please email us <laughs> yeah so uh next episode we'll be doing our anniversary mailbag if you would like to send in a question that we can answer for you uh go ahead and do that to totalpartythrill at gmail.com uh yeah of course since we record uh these early uh you've got probably about three days to send them in from the time that this episode goes live because of course we lie every time we say we're live that's true mm -hmm. yeah pulling back the curtain five years in <laughs> here we go don't don't ruin it podcasts aren't live <laughs> you know you know what sometimes we're not even in new york that's true that's also true <laughs> not like it would matter these days anyway we're in new york right now okay just so you know we're toughing it out. All right, all right, all right. So let's move on. Where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? <laughs> so the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in southern Karnath, on the edge of the Mornland, the party is chasing a killer. After an ambush by undead abominations... Vesikad, the Kalishtar Scion, lies dead on the ground, his blood drained in mere seconds by one of the monsters. But with the creature slain and its body desiccated, 
An engorged sack of fresh blood is all that remains of him. Working quickly, Warden uses the tools from his herbalism kit to pierce Vesicod's lifeless veins and pipe as much blood from the sack as he can back into his corpse. And meanwhile, Switch investigates the Rev Pack. It's a piece of alchemical artifice that the Ondarian army had with them uh, that was buried low these four years and they have rediscovered. It's a heavy, boxy apparatus that's carried on the back with thick straps, like a backpack. Tubes and glass vials inside it connect to some sort of steam-powered device that she can see, and it's all hooked up to a scroll case. She pops that open, and inside she finds a single scroll of Revivify, which is a spell that she knows that can bring a body back to life as long as it's used quickly enough. The pack, though, is apparently designed to let anybody, even a non-spellcaster, use the scroll inside. I like this as the magic defibrillator. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So after some quick tinkering, she attaches the rev pack to Vesicod's body, uh, which now has all its blood back inside it, uh, because she knows that the spell Revivify only works on bodies that are whole, right? It can't have a head removed, and you obviously can't have all of your blood taken out. Um, because it brings the body back to life, and if the body you know, isn't able to survive, then you'll just die again. So she flips the switch, activates the rev pack, it whirs with arcane energy, and Vesicod gasps for air. The scroll case, though, gives off a bit of smoke, and the delicate paper inside is reduced to ash. So they will need to get new scrolls of Revivify if they want to use this again. Switch is, of course, happy that it worked and Vesicot is alive again, but by her estimation, the whole process of figuring out how to use the pack and putting his blood back inside his body took too long. The spell should not have worked, and Vesicot should still be dead. So, pondering the limitations of the Revivify spell, the party rests carefully in the lee of the cliffside before heading further south again. Another day of trudging across barren wasteland brings them to the edge of a valley that slopes down towards the Mornland. They can see the ruins of the Jurasco compound where they all died in the distance, though it looks like all the buildings have been razed. Ephraim's map, however, guides them east to a, a different location. As they continue, the terrain grows hotter, and they need to pick their way around steaming pools of opaque liquid that are dotting the landscape. The entire ground is covered by a noxious fog that climbs up to their waists, and they realize they need to leave their pack burrows behind, or the fumes are going to kill the animals. However, they are unaffected by the gases. So the map singles out a large bubbling pond filled with acrid water. Watcher does as he does, turns into a shark, and dives in. His gills reel from toxins that would kill most other living creatures, but... Though it hurts, he's still able to breathe just fine. Exploring underneath the water, he finds a small tunnel deep below the surface. So he shifts into the form of a seal, clambers up the tunnel, and finds a pocket of air and another very long tunnel that heads deep, deep into the ground. Shifting uh, forms uh, one more slight time, he sprouts his uh, dragonfly wings, his fairy wings, and discovers that the tunnel descends 100 feet below to another cave before it continues on. He then returns to the party, and they take turns diving into the murky poison and clambering up to the first precipice. 
And we'll find out where that goes next week. All right, Ishan. So this week we are talking about random tables. I'm surprised we haven't talked about uh, random tables yet. We've talked about random character creation, of course, which involves some tables. But I, I like the idea of just talking about tables in general because, of course, both players and GMs are using them or can use them pretty often. But, of course, what are they? Yeah. So I guess uh, a random table is really just a list of things with numbers next to them, right? Or uh, ranges of numbers or, yeah, all kinds of uh, wacky often wacky options, I guess. Uh, You look at the list, you roll a die, you um, play a matching game, and you see what happens. We see these used in games for everything from setting creation to character generation to adventure planning to, you know, encounters or rewards or even, you know, action resolution, crit, fumble tables, things like that. I think pretty much every RPG I've ever seen has random tables in there somewhere. A lot of people run into some problems with them or have at least since 1974. So it's interesting. I don't know that every every RPG has random tables, but every RPG has tables, which means you can make random tables. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just find the appropriately sized die. (laughs) Right, exactly. D84. (laughs) Done. So let's start off with, you know, when are they good? What is a good time to use them and when do you get good results? So I think generally good random tables are there to enhance the flavor of the game but not define the substance of the game right and a lot of times what that means is that they're truly selectable tables not just rollable you know it's like if you see something on here you should pick it um versus you must roll against this or else some assumption of the game is going to break down like you you can get, even get into a, stas- a situation where the option is you can decide whatever you want right your backstory what you know, country are you from, whatever, uh, your your character class. Or you can roll on this table. At least then there is also still a decision, right? And then, of course, if you're just making it up yourself or picking something randomly, then, of course, you have the default option of just picking something that's on the table. I think, yes, you certainly run into problems uh, when the game is like, hey, guess what? You have no choice in this matter. Uh, roll some stuff and just uh, live with it, likely forever. Well, you also roll into problems, not just like you have to live with this, right? Like let the die choose, but also like the assumption that goes into a table that is meant to be rolled randomly versus the assumption that goes into a table that's meant to be picked from. Like the range of outcomes there will necessarily be different, (laughs) you know, like a, a random table has to have like variations of degrees of negativity or positivity, right? Um, it might even have weighting against that. Whereas like, If ultimately you're just selecting class, right, and all classes are meant to be relatively equal, sure, roll a d12 or just pick one. It's the same thing, right? Like all it's doing is helping you break your tie in your mind. Um, That's a better table in general than one that is expecting you to roll against it and like, you know, hoping uh, hoping it doesn't um, upset the balance of the game because you rolled particularly high or particularly low. Yeah, I think we'll see in throughout this entire episode that a table is only as good as the person who picks the items that go in the table. And those items are only as good or bad as the game it's based on, right? Because a table is a reference. Uh, right. A table usually talks about something else in the book. So, you know, to your sort of like class selection point, if all classes are indeed equal and fun in different ways and bring something to the table, yeah, it doesn't matter. Roll, that's fine. 
Uh, if it is an extremely unbalanced game like 3.5 D&D, then some people are going to have a great time and some people are going to have a terrible time. I, that's, I mean, that's a quality of game issue, but like you can look at even like second edition AD&D where you have classes that were meant to be more exclusive and more powerful, right? Like the Paladin, if you rolled the stats for it, you played Paladin because it was better. Like that was its point, right? Like it, right, was, it was the it reward. Was gatekept. Yeah, exactly. So if you put that in a table, right, where if you roll high enough on this table, then you get to do a more powerful thing, like that becomes troublesome. Um, that defines the play experience. It's not it's not defining the flavor of the experience, is is sort of the trouble that you run into. There's an issue with gatekept material, right? So there is some material that is supposed to be sort of set aside and you have to earn it either in game or you know somehow in or in order to use it or play it and if that's available on a table it can make someone who did earn it feel bad and if that's the only way to get it then you know it's just sort of random luck luck of the draw it's also right. possible that you have stuff on on the table where like there's basically no other way to get it and so i mean in the old days you would just murder your character and then like try to reroll, right <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I think what this boils down to is that a table is probably best when it is offering you information that isn't necessarily vital to having a good game or or gameplay. So I really like it, for example, for something like uh, setting definition. You know, does it really matter uh, what kind of a country or like what is the like a uh, political situation in the nation that we like our small tavern uh, that starts the story is in? Not really. I mean, let's just sort of decide that randomly. Anything really that that's driving that kind of inspiration, right? Like plot hooks work the same way for me. Um, you know, the location might be interesting, but also what are we doing in that location? Like, why did why would you come here? Um, all of those kind of things set you in motion. Um, they inspire you to create a game that will be exciting versus like you know kind of trying to define the excitement for you in gameplay right like these are these are the types of tables that are going to be used in setup and planning versus used in the course of you know a given session yeah a table is great to get you over that hump of analysis paralysis whether you're mm -hmm. a player trying to decide oh, i just don't know what i want my backstory to be or what character class i want to play or whatever or you're a gm being like oh man i i just don't know what to call this tavern fortunately here's a table with nine tavern names that's a big thing is is there they're a really good way of also conveying the tone and like um like spirit of a setting too right like if you if you have a list of tavern names um, and those tavern names are all like, you know, the uh, the rusty knot and the uh, whiny wench and the, you know, the dragon's breath. Um, that tells you something about the type of fantasy setting you're playing in, right? Like if those setting, if those taverns are all named like um, grim and know, dark something... and blood and steel. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, hope's end. Um, <laughs> like, oh, this is a pirate's game. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this is, this is the last stop. I got it. Okay. You know, so like that'll tell you what, what type of neighborhood are you in? You know, what type of setting are you in? So like all of those kind of things can really enhance it. Um, as well as like, if you have a new setting and this is something we've we've commented on i think in some of our setting overviews of like what do i do here what are you expecting of me you know like you put a plot plot hook table in the middle of this and i read 20 potential plot hooks for your setting i probably have a good idea of what i'm supposed to be doing even if you know only three or four of them really tickle my fancy putting a table in front of players 
also signals that this world is kind of wide open. I don't necessarily have a thing planned. And you know what? You don't have to figure out what I want you to do. Like, do a thing. Or, heck, roll on this table, and then we're just all going to go with it. We did that in um, in Rogue Trader, right? Like, we literally used the... Um, Stars of that number? The planet generation system from... No, no, no. It was, was it um, evil it's, death murder. It's actually planet? a road because trader. That's book. what we rolled. Say, well, that's the natural outcome. <laughs> what was the end plot point? Oh, right. The planet wants to kill you and all humans. It's from Stars of Iniquity. Ah, yeah, yeah. That just tells you that tells you right on the tin exactly what those tables are gonna look like. They're not gonna be fair. <laughs> Inequity is right in the title. <laughs> I also like tables. Not necessarily for when you're trying to decide, you know, the overarching like arc of a campaign or, you know, what are we even doing here? But just the little stuff that you don't have time to make up or maybe the stuff that you get too bogged down in making up. Uh, you know, you spend hours and hours coming coming up with like heraldry and like which house am I from and what was like my great grandfather's name because like I'm a knight and I want to know my whole lineage, right? Uh, all that little minutiae can just be generated by a table and it can be generated on the fly your heraldry is extremely important to you and you should put care and thought into that but if heraldry is important to the world and this is a random npc who happens to be a knight and then you know you are asked about their heraldry like yeah the heraldry table is going to come in super handy because you can quickly roll and see that their heraldry is you know red and green and also it involves uh you know a lion Great. They're the red and green lions. That's their heraldry. We can move on now. You've added that detail to the world. It feels seamless, but you haven't put any type of prep or brain power into making that work, um, saving you prep time, enhancing your play experience. Yeah. It even saves you brain power in terms of like coming up with these connections, right? Because if you're creating two NPCs, you come up, you have to figure out what their names are and like what are the names of their horses and like which houses are they from and how do they know each other and what is their relationship to each other. You can roll their names. That's fine. You don't have to come up with names because that's difficult, but you can also roll how they know each other and, and who they are and what are their quirks from and like which castle do they live in and what are their personality traits if you want to know all those things. And the nice thing is it's, it's Schrodinger's information. Right, this person doesn't have to have any personality traits if that doesn't come up. They have an eye color, of course. Nobody cares what it is until somebody asks. You don't have to generate it ahead of time. You don't need a massive stat block for all these people. Right, you just need the bullets in order to play them for as long as you need to play them, right? Right, you write down what the results were. Oh, this person is beginning to take shape. This is an NPC who you thought would just be a, a gray-faced piece of the mist, right? The shopkeeper, the tavern owner, um, you know, the, uh, the hostler who brings you your, uh, your rental mules. Um, and then they start asking questions and you go, hold on a minute. Um, <laughs> let me roll some dice and okay. I see that this, uh, this hostler is gruff and also like is trying to get out of this town and also owes some money to the, uh, underboss of the, uh, of the criminal syndicate. Cool. Great. That's that's the thing about them. If it comes up, great. If not, it just gets flushed away and it never matters to the PCs anyway. Yeah, I kind of love those situations where, you know, the PCs answer a tavern and they're like, oh, OK, I have a very high perception. Tell me everything that I see. And you're like, all right, I got to generate some details here. But then, you know, you go, 
oh, huh, Tavern Keeper's a gnome. Hold on a second. Changes the tone of this inn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's when you stop rolling because suddenly you have, like, an amazing inspiration about, like, what this inn is like and what kind of food they serve just from that one randomly generated piece of information. If you don't need to generate the information, stop and just roll with whatever you've got. Right, right. Same thing, like... Yeah, you knew there was a gnome, but did you know that he had a an oversized and and unique looking earring in the shape of a dragon eating its own tail? Wonder what that is. Bet there's a backstory there. I'm sure there is. I'm also sure the GM has no idea what it is, but will just hum a little bit knowingly when the PCs ask about it. Uh-huh. What does that mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You think maybe that <laughs> might be something interesting to look into at some point. These tables are fantastic for generating character description, right? Um, especially if they're optional for PCs. This is sort of the uh, selectable list where goes a long way. Uh, but they could be great for generating relationships between the characters, those types of you know quirks or trinkets that, that sort of color their character. Um, blessings, prophecies, um, fates that were associated with them. We had a great time with this when we played Lancer just recently you know we all came up with our characters we were you know we we're in the middle of session zero everyone had like a pretty well-defined person that they were playing so we didn't really need to do much random generation there but there is a table in lancer where you randomly generate your relationships to the other people on your team uh and i think two or three people have crushes on each other just because that's one of the options and we rolled it a bunch yeah, we rolled a bunch of crushes. They're all begrudging. Um, <laughs> and then the third one, I think it was like, okay, no more crushes. All yeah, right, no. <laughs> now this is getting complicated and and we can place some of this up for laughs, but we don't want it to be a love quadrangle. This is becoming too much anime. Not enough, <laughs> not enough fighting. This is also great for players who are really invested in the mechanics of their character, but care maybe a little bit less about the the quirks or personality traits or rp of their character because it can give you a really solid hook you know you can roll trinkets and like every power gamer is like wait i get a i get an item i can put on my sheet and it counts as gear yeah give me some trinkets that sounds great but then you know you yeah. have to attach a meaning to it you know what what does that tooth on a necklace mean and where did you get it and they come up with stuff and suddenly you're super attached to it because like that's from the time i i killed a bear there's a common refrain amongst people who like more random character generation about the challenge of role-playing it, right? Like, how do I role-play the wizard with low intelligence? Um, if you're looking for the challenge in role-playing, look to motivation, personality, quirks, traits, those types of things for characters that might not, you know, qualities that might not necessarily align that are going to be challenging to role-play rather than the mechanical aspect of how does it make any sense that my wizard has a minus two intelligence and is casting spells? You know, you want to role play a dumb wizard? Great. They're actually a sorcerer. They just think they're a wizard. <laughs> yeah, this spellbook is nonsense. <laughs> this, what? I can't copy anything. Who are you? <laughs> this isn't even written in Draconic. <laughs> oh, you don't think it's written in Draconic? You can't write spells in Thieves' Camp. <laughs> I'm silently casting a spell at you. That's just these can't. <laughs> um, and then I will say, if you've got short-term play in mind, random tables can be useful for character generation as well. Um, this is going to speed up play. It's where you don't need to make mechanical decisions because your character isn't going to live long enough that it's going to make a big difference, either because it's a one-shot or a two-shot or because the life expectancy of a character is extremely short. 
and that character is being played as a one shot or a two shot or even less if you're playing games like only war you know dungeon crawl classics right like dcc is even if you hate random character generation um that's great for something like dcc because they're almost definitely going to die soon you don't even have time to get attached to them it's also great for something like con games where you're you know this is going to be a one shot there's no possible way that you're all going to get together again um and like try to finish this if you don't so like it's gonna end so even if you do roll something that you wouldn't normally like it's a chance to sort of you know stretch your boundaries a little bit and like it's four hours who cares yeah exactly like you you can get that one hour care gen party gen and then three hour adventure kind of split works perfectly for a four hour con game yeah or or, you know if you really want to speed it up you get 10 minute character generation well right in (laughs) sure (laughs) all right however random tables do have a bad rap for sometimes really good reasons i think in the old days uh, a lot of rpgs a lot of heartbreakers used to just throw in pages and pages of random tables to kind of pad out the page count so it seemed like a real game rather than a pamphlet in the old days (laughs) the old days ishan i mean it was a problem we had with uh xanathars isn't it yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that's that's the thing right is practically speaking you have limited page count in in any you know book product right physical or digital you still have layout you still have to deal with all those costs so the bigger the book the more work the more cost um tables take up a lot of space they don't take up a lot of word count they're an efficient use of filling out the book um the thing is games don't have to be self-contained like they were in 1980 because there is a community of people who play games and especially if your game is not dungeons and dragons they're probably playing with some type of connection online you know either they understand how reddit works or you know a discord or twitter or whatever like do you really need to put these tables in your book in your limited 150 pages or whatever like you're gonna you're gonna burn it out on these silly tables that are unworkable and unnecessary like it's it's kind of lazy at worst it's exploitative of of the page count value statement uh yeah just uh put a link to your geocities page you know <laughs> maybe, maybe your angel fire right and then people can just go there i mean that's going to exist forever so they can they can just access it and get those tables but like <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> but like do you need a, a table of names oh 100 like, percent. no yeah we have random name generator.com you know like right which is your... there's like 14 of them i i I mean, I don't need a Star Wars name generator, right? Right. I don't need a fantasy name generator, a generic fantasy name generator. But you don't need it for just about any culture, frankly. You can get cultural adjacent names pretty easily from like some site on the internet. You know, it's it's, so it's it's just frustrating where it's like I don't I don't need you to give me plot hooks for Dungeons and Dragons. Like Dungeons and Dragons, by the time you're on the fourth splat book, like the plot hooks are pretty obvious. You know, like maybe if you're you're doing something unique or new with a setting, something like a Theros or a um or a or a Ravnica, like sure, that's going to be kind of a different assumption from your standard D and D. It makes sense. An Eberron, sure, tie that to to different places, but like it's it just frustrates me because so much content goes into like Dungeons Master Dungeon Masters Guild and things like that, where it's just tables, which is great. That's exactly the type of place that stuff belongs, not in a mainline D&D book. Like, let's be honest about what the ecosystem of a game looks like before we waste our time on tables. In the 
old days when you used to go into an actual bookstore to decide if you're going to buy an RPG book, you would compare the thickness of the book, like the heft of the book, to how much you were going to pay for it. And you're like, yeah, but it's like 350 pages of content. And it just sucked to like peel off the the shrink wrap and then open it up. And 50 pages of that was just random tables because you, you re- really felt like you got ripped off. And that still happens. Like you look at Dungeon Master's Guild or, you know, you're buying something from DriveThruRPG. You can't read the entire thing. You can't thumb through it. You look at the page count. You go, hey, this is a, you know, a 45 page PDF. Maybe that's worth $2.99. And then to get it back and realize that half of it is random tables means that I probably am not going to buy something from that publisher again. Another thing that is is troublesome when you get to random tables is when they start getting weighted. Um, you know, it's fine if you have equal weighting across the value. That tends to indicate that they're going to be roughly equal outcome um, and like not necessarily a spectrum. But when you start seeing like, you know, 1% chance of this really cool thing happening, 30% chance of this really generic thing happening, um, in gameplay from the player perspective, it's a pure binary. Either it happens or it doesn't. Like there's no excitement from getting the 1% outcome on a table they can't see. So why do we do that? Just do the cool thing. Yeah, and this will happen a lot. Like you'll have a table designer say, all right, chances are something really great is going to happen. But then even on a, a D100 roll of like 98 to 99, nothing happens. If you roll that, that is still boring. Don't just don't include it. Right. <laughs> right. Nothing happens is is the default state, right? I have a table so that something happens. Yeah. So so there's there's table construction problems too. I'll say this again and again. A table is only as good as the person who puts it together. And you can see a lot of tables, old tables, new tables, from people who didn't do the math in any way and didn't realize that, oh, this table means that sixty-seven percent of the time the party dies. Right. <laughs> Well, should we should we skip ahead to random encounter? <laughs> sure, <laughs> because like I don't think random encounters are inherently bad no, in some game types, but um, they got to get that granularity right because like the trivial and the impossible are two ends of a spectrum of these tables that are pointless in play. Like if if they if they walk into a hex and that's the ancient dragon's hex at level three, they die. You ended your campaign. Congratulations. What do you do now? Your story has stopped, just as if they had walked in and found nothing to do. Uh, you've got to break out a book of random tables and start a new campaign. Start rolling new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sell more tables. Yeah, this is especially a problem when the table the table construction is actually truly random. You know, oh, I'll just take all the monsters in my game and put them in this table, and anything could happen. Who knows? Uh, but that's bad design and Mm -hmm. even when you do try to make sure that you know the monsters that are going to show up are within a particular range like i'll i'll uh, lean very heavily on the challenge rating and then you know i'll i'll know that they'll be able to deal with this one challenge rating is not great in D &D, and you know any book is can rate the the challenge even not D&D, right can rate the challenge of a particular monster or encounter or trap or whatever uh but that's all going to depend on your players and the type of game you're playing etc so mm-hmm. one relatively simple monster can be a speed bump for 
you know, well-built, mechanically inclined characters, uh, but could completely wreck a party that's much more focused on RP. Or it could just be like, hey, we don't have a spellcaster in this group, and this thing casts Wall of Force once a day, and we're, we're just completely screwed. Force cage. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ate us slowly. It had an hour. Right. <laughs> you also get into the problem of you roll randomly there's an expectation at the table, right? Like you're in a game where random encounters are a thing and you get the trivial answer, right? Oh, 1d6 orcs show up. Okay, uh, do I have to spend my time actually fighting this combat or can I just roll a d6 for how many hit points I lost? Because like we're going to stomp these orcs, you know? So now it's on you, the GM, to make that encounter much more meaningful and interesting than the table indicated but if they don't give you the tools to do that, that was a waste of a role. You've created more work for me, not less. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of situations, those tables, like random encounter tables, are probably more interesting as options to choose from because you know your party best. You know what they're interested in, right? Um, you all, you also know the story of your game, right? It can a random table can throw things off mechanically, sure, but it can also really screw things up in terms of the story. Like if you roll orcs again, but we've just made a treaty with the orcs in the area and that was like the whole thing we did in our last arc uh, last arc it like doesn't make any sense for these orcs to show up and we have to fight them now we have to parlay because they're on our side or like i guess it's a, it's a friendly encounter now and, and this goes to i think pre-rolling becomes important on these things right if you want the long-term randomness but don't want the short-term disaster uh pre-roll these things and that way it gives you time to actually figure out how to fit them all together and specifically to telegraph your impossible problems. I think you get into the same situation with loot tables, which is something that in general I don't like at all, right? It's, mm -hmm. okay, we'll randomly generate loot because that's how we've already we've always done it. And sometimes that means that we get amazing, very powerful weapons, and now we're very strong because we have, you know, um, weapons from legend. And sometimes it means you get a wand of wonder and everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um or alternatively like cool we got you know 20 d6 gold pieces and art worth 1d100 gold pieces and jewels worth you know 8d10 gold pieces and like great um that's all filler right what am i doing what's distinct about any of that stuff why did you even bother zooming in that tightly and rolling on a table for it it's just a number it is a nod to simulationism to say, well, you know, you could stumble on these types of things. So let's make sure that they show up in the table. And then in terms of the mechanics of the game, art doesn't actually matter. You're not going to decorate uh, a castle with it. You're going to sell it. So all we do is convert it into gold pieces. So all that needed to be on that table was gold pieces. You could have made up its function on your own. It's the same outcome. Right. Or maybe gold pieces didn't even need to be on that table because so many games don't care about money. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, it's simulationist. It's, hey, there's usually gold in a treasure. So I guess I'm going to give you some gold. But everyone's like, uh, well, you know, what we really wanted was items. Yeah. I mean, this ha this happens so often. You roll on the random table and you got a plus four longsword. Aren't you excited? No, we're all rogues. There's the useful item and then there's the absolutely useless item. <laughs> the one that none of us can use or that, um, you know, doesn't fit 
particularly what we want or is an item for somebody who just rolled a random item and got a cool thing. So now they get two upgrades and everybody else is sitting around doing nothing. This was born out of AD&D and then became an MMO thing. And then it kind of got ported back into D&D, I think, <laughs> uh, in the sense that like, sure, sometimes it's just random and you don't get to control it and it is what it is. Uh, except like, I don't have as much time to go like repeat that boss run 17 times to get the item that I need to and roll for it. Uh, so let's make the D&D session that I have that takes all this time to prep and play actually satisfying for everybody. Yeah, we're not playing a game where you're grinding, right? This goes with the random encounters too. Like sometimes you roll slimes in Dragon Quest and sometimes you roll, you know, a wyvern and you hit run away because you know you can't win. Right. But the whole point of that game is to go out there and kill things until you level up. The point of a role-playing game that you're probably playing for four hours in a given week or a given month is to have fun during that set amount of time. You know, not to carefully mimic a, a, a game of questing nights. Right. The other issue with, with loot tables is, like you said, you know, you'll roll one to uh, 100 uh, gold worth of gems and, you know, 10 to 1,000 worth of art pieces. That means you could get 11 gold pieces or you could get 1,100 gold pieces. <laughs> What's the difference? Either that doesn't matter because gold doesn't matter. Or it matters so much and now like the party has everything that it needs or the party has nothing that it needs. Yeah, I just don't see the difference between 11 and 1100. It's basically the same. <laughs> yeah, because plate mail costs 1500. So go straight. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's still not enough. <laughs> Should we talk about crit tables and fumble tables? Yes. I think these are sort of the most emblematic of probably one of the reasons that a lot of people like random tables to begin with is that Sometimes you get wacky comedy. Mm -hmm. Your fumble table can include pratfall or I fling my sword across the room while we're fighting the dragon. I love that. And sometimes that's funny. Yep. Once. Yep. <laughs> when it doesn't happen to you. Yeah. In a one shot and not when we're in the culmination of our entire three year campaign. Oh, that crit table is really funny until you decapitate your BBEG in one swing and all of a sudden your big boss fight is done because you gave too much power to a table to influence your narrative it's not that these don't have a place at all like i think we've talked before about dark heresy second edition has essentially built in crit tables um which can also turn into fumble tables depending on what you roll true because <laughs> sometimes you shoot a guy and his exploding corpse kills you uh i believe that's the uh, the grenade cascade <laughs> <That's edition. right. laughs> We, we had to come to a detente. <laughs> if you do the math on these things, it's not just that, for example, you know, someone who makes more attacks is more likely to fumble, which means that the person who is more experienced is more likely going to, you know, blow their own hand off with their gun or, you know, cut their foot off with their sword and just makes casters more powerful because they're not usually rolling. But often it doesn't fit into the narrative of the game because now you need to explain why this has happened and why it's happening so often. Classically, it happens 5% of the time. <laughs> um, or if you have crits and fumbles, it happens 10% of the time that some goofy hijink occurs. So I will say there is, uh, you mentioned Dark Heresy, right? Genesis does a similar thing or like the Fantasy Flight Star Wars, right? Where you put heavy weighting on your crit table um, and you use it for multiple purposes so 
it's really a critical damage table is how they treat it. And, and as you take more damage, you escalate up that table, right? Um, so like you can't die from a single crit in Genesis generally because you need to have a, a modifier um, to that role in order to get to the death quality on the table. Um, it still makes for swingy combats though. Right. And I think that's one of the problems is that it's it's introducing like another thing you need to look up to produce these like very um, outlier like results over time. Um, I think that tends towards frustration for the players because the players are way more likely to be on the receiving end of that than any given NPC. Because again, the players have to roll every single combat. An NPC lasts one, maybe two combats. Right. Anything that increases swinginess or randomness in a combat favors the monsters and hurts the players, ultimately, from a mechanical perspective. Because if things go well for the players, great, they win. If things go poorly for the players, they die and the game is over. If things go poorly for the monsters, then the great, the players win, right? If things go well for the monsters, then maybe the game ends. The fail state for players is way higher stakes. And then we did an entire episode on random character creation, but uh, certainly this is something that comes up a lot. I mean, it is the default way to roll stats in 5th edition D&D. Point buy is an alternative option. It's not just rolling your stats, right? There's There's a lot more that goes into what makes random character creation tables. Um, But lots of games do introduce, you know, random mechanics um, that are, that are, sitting on a table like AD&D had the D100 roll for your 18 strength right the only stat that got a D100 roll on the tail end of it and if you got 100 you were you know superman and if you rolled a 1 you were strength 17 yeah <laughs> oops right 18 in name only right i mean this is basically how every warhammer game works right yep fantasy and 40k yep (laughs) and it absolutely leads to uneven play experiences over the long term of an entire campaign and you know one way that we handled that when we were playing dark heresies we really leaned in leaned into it you know like Mm -hmm. hi sure i'm you know a sniper and i guess i'm from a garden world but let's just figure out how that works i suppose yeah and and i think what ended up having to happen was you gained a lot of agency kind of extra mechanically Right. Uh, combat was always going to be dangerous and deadly because there's only so much you can do to avoid that in 40K. But like you were able to punch far above your weight class from like an experience and character level just by virtue of commanding a rogue trader ship and, and having those kinds of resources. There's no mechanics for that. The game isn't built for that, but it gives you a greater sense of agency as a character that isn't necessarily reflected on your sheet. And we were able to do all of that despite the randomness of character creation i mean we we had plenty of like rp hijinks because we were playing a particular kind of game and like we're a group that gets along um but there were definitely situations where people were like uh okay can everyone just sit down with me for like 10 minutes to figure out like where i should put these xp points because from what i'm seeing if i put them here to do the thing that i want to do i'm terrible at it and i still can't fully do it because it costs too much because of what i happen to roll character creation but if i do this thing that i'm really good at i guess that i'm spec for it's the thing that i don't want to do and everyone's like yep that's how the system works sorry yep (laughs) oops (laughs) i think everybody did end up settling into an archetype that made sense 
but uh, it, it definitely did take some some time and some doing. I mean, you and I have both built on our own dark heresy spreadsheets to figure out what is the like best thing to do, and not even necessarily what is the best path for this character based on what you rolled a character creation, but what is the best way to get to the point that you want the character to be at? Because there are multiple ways to get there, and some are just worse than others. I mean, this happens especially in older versions of D&D where it's so much better to take levels in a particular order mm -hmm. rather than just sort of doing it in the natural way that might come about based on your story progression. And all of that, again, is born out of there are a bunch of tables that will determine, you know, your homeworld, your background, like mechanically influencing factors uh, in your character. And now you're having to kind of swim against the current to play the character you were hoping to play in the first place. I don't want to say, and I don't want people to come away from this thinking that I or we don't like random tables. We love random tables. When I see a random table in a book, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's look through this and, and find out. You know, like a one-page random table. Awesome. It's one page. It's not too long. And I think when you're using them, the thing I like to do is, is to keep front of mind the whole reason that you wanted a random table in the first place, whether that is to speed up I know how long prep takes you or, you know, just to have um, a backstop for ideas or names or, or words that you don't want to have to come up with on the fly. Or if, like you're if you're a player, usually it's I want to have a bunch of fun. I want like to introduce a little bit of like of the unknown, a little bit of wackiness, maybe maybe a little bit of humor and lean into the tables when it's going to give you that. But when the table doesn't give you that, when the result gives you something boring or or something that makes the game worse or less fun feel free to ignore it or not use it in the first place yeah absolutely and and a perfect example of that that was on full display for everybody so stream of blades when we were playing band of blades right mission generation is meant to be random um it's all it all works on like a d66 system um which gives you random um types of missions and then um there are mechanics that can slightly let you control that uh, as well as random rewards and costs. The the challenge you have is that you can end up with one obviously good mission and, and two obviously bad missions, and then there's no real choice. Um, so to balance that, you once we got through like a couple sessions, right? Like you always had competing objectives. And so I would, you know, tilt the dice in the direction they needed to be <laughs> in order to make difficult decisions. Or if we had, you know, uh, a single path that... Um, you know, I thought was more interesting for the stream, I would bias the results slightly towards that so that it became obvious that was the good choice and you guys would just go on to it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, let you have a decision over what to do with your secondary. Um, so you can you can use them, right? And even within games that are assuming them, like, don't let the dice dictate the play experience. Um, let the dice inspire you to get the best play experience possible. Play the dice, don't let the dice play you. That's right. <laughs> also, good advice in casinos. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, yes, I do. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was a. I uh, rolled a D two. Oh, okay. And what did you find? Um, I I did hear it. Uh, hold on. I have to flip pages to another reference table to find out what I heard. <laughs> All right, while you're looking that up, I'm moving on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. 
And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, Shane, your number's up. We're building the lotto ticket. What is it? Uh, it is a character who is taking a big chance. But if it pays off, it's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the build? Hexblade Warlock 13, Paladin 2, Assassin Rogue 5. I mean, Warlock is a gamble anyway, right? Because you never know what patrons can tell you to do. Exactly. Um, so we go to level 13 here. That'll give us our fifth level spells on a short rest, and then we'll get a sixth and seventh level spell on a long rest. Uh, Hexblade gives us curse. So once per short rest, you can uh, target a creature. Uh, you will crit them on a 19 or a 20. You'll get your proficiency bonus uh, to damage on a hit, and you'll gain temporary HP when they die. You'll get six invocations here. Eldritch Smite, of course, uh, which will give you two kinds of smites uh, in addition to your Paladin Smites. Thirsting Blade, uh, so that you can attack uh, twice. Life Drinker to add your Charisma modifier as damage and improved uh, Packed Weapon. Improved Packed Weapon is kind of optional. If you um, already have magic weapons, you don't really need it. Um, You're not using any of that because you need Finesse. Then from uh, Blade Packed at level three, uh, that'll allow you to take Thirsting Blade and that stuff. Uh, at level six, you'll get a Cursed Spectre, uh, lets you raise a Vanquished Foe's spirit as a pet. At 10, you get Armor of Hexes, which is a 50-50 shot that an attack from your Cursed Target just straight up misses you. And then at level 13, uh, why we got 7th level spells, the most lotto ticket of all lotto ticket spells, <laughs> Prismatic Spray. <laughs> Do Warlocks get Simulacrum? Uh, I don't know. I feel like that one's a, a bit of a lotto ticket too, especially if you tell the GM, hey, uh, have this simulacrum have its own personality. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Let the simulacrum roll on a random table for personality. <laughs> From Paladin, you know why we're here. Divine Sense. Yep, oh, it's wait, Divine wait. Sense. <laughs> Gotta find your targets. <laughs> Lay on hands, you get a fighting style. Uh, you can do great weapon fighting to use a sun blade with two hands. You could go dueling to just get up the straight up get the straight up two damage. Uh, and of course, you're here for spell slots and some smites. Yeah, those spell slots, of course, allow you to use hex because you will never use a warlock spell slot for hex. <laughs> those are too valuable as smites. You just don't have enough spell slots. And then from Assassin Rogue, you get two expertises. You'll have a 3d6 sneak attack, which is why you're using finesse weapons. Thieves Cant, which as we've learned, is very, very important. It looks like you're casting a spell. (laughs) Right. Uh, Level two, you'll get cunning action. So you'll get some extra uses for your bonus action, uh, dash, hide, etc. And then what we're mostly here for is assassinate. So you'll have advantage on creatures who haven't acted in uh, in the encounter yet. And then you'll automatically crit any surprise targets Uh, and then level five you'll get evasion so all of this comes together to sort of betting on your big ticket here which is throwing your eldritch smite your paladin smite and your sneak attack dice uh, with a hex onto a surprise target uh, to auto crit them or a cursed target for a 19 to 20 crit Uh, and that will yield you 24d8 plus 8d6 for an average of 136 extra damage on your attack. And of course, if you don't crit, don't blow all your smites. Yeah, and that's important. That's what makes this a lotto ticket is <laughs> you've got to crit, right? So it's a low chance of happening, but when it happens, 
you're done working for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because also you're out of spells. <laughs> Just like a lotto winner. <laughs> uh, no, I, I put all my pennies back in the machine. I don't know what happened. Uh, in terms of leveling order, I would start with three levels of rogue to get assassinate, take your paladin levels, uh, then take all of your hexblade and probably just finish it out rogue. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Uh, and we have had a handful of new uh, patrons uh, in the recent months. So be aware, if you're at the $5 level, there will be a shipment of pins going out um, shortly. Yes, and if you are owed uh, merch from Patreon, just shoot us an email or let us know on Twitter or wherever, and we will get that out to you. The pandemic has made shipping a little eh, less reliable than it has previously been. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, that helps other people find the show and keeps us on the charts. Uh, if you do that, we will read your five-star review on the air. Just like this one. This is JK underscore 313 who gives us five stars and says, Outstanding. Just an outstanding production all around. Knowledgeable and erudite hosts. Fantastic format. A real treat. Please don't stop. Is it that clear that <laughs> there's a risk of us stopping? Are people worried about that? <laughs> <laughs> five years uh that's uh that's when we retire right retirement age is five. Yeah, drinking exactly. age and retirement age is five years no country for old podcasts <laughs> we just have a few rivals out there that we want to outlast you know who you are that's right <laughs> all right what do we have planned for next week's episode it is the big fifth anniversary mailbag so get in your questions because we're recording it soon and in the Character Creation Forge, we're building Buffy. All right. Well, that's it for episode 261 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. I choose kobolds. You choose to be a monster. I choose kobolds in a tiny little cloud, flying high above everybody else. I hate you so much. Throwing little bits of alchemist fire. Did you see on Twitter, someone was like, that's a Lakitu. And I was like, it's totally a Lakitu, you're right. <laughs> okay. Use their easy-to-use design tool to build the perfect miniature online using a fully 3D in-depth character editor right in your web browser. HeroForge offers custom minis in a variety of materials, including plastic and metal options. They also offer downloadable model files for users to 3D print their own unique designs at home. And they're constantly expanding the catalog of customization options. They're adding new parts every week. And there are major features like races and custom posing that get added on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. I'll, sometimes I'll just go in there and like I, I kind of have the character that I always build. You know, it's it's, it's the one that got away. Uh, didn't get the mini ordered in, but then I'll just play around with how to pose it. You know, sometimes he's just like uh, kneeling. Well, not kneeling, but like kind of leaning over in contemplative thought. Sometimes he's like boasting to the crowd, like, come at me, bro, holding a gigantic sword, you know, as you do. You know, the JD Fuzz and I are, are just, uh, you know, working on the, the cloud details, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I only need the top half of the kobold. So if that sounds awesome to you, 
Visit HeroForge.com to start designing your custom miniature today and check back often because there's new content added every week.